Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. Well, how y'all doing? You looking good today? Somebody start break out the Christmas duds. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you only wear those things once a year, so might as well enjoy it, right? Might as well. But today we're going to talk about the advent of love, okay? John 3.16 says it all. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved. John, 1 John 4 and 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let me say that again. Because God is love. Now I could close in prayer, say amen, and send us all home, and I just rattled off the gospel message right there, okay? But I'm not going to do that. You know, I worked for two weeks on this message. Thought I might just share a few thoughts about love. That's okay with you guys. And the subject of love is, I thought, well, this will be, this will be a piece of cake to put a sermon together. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure I did. I could have gone a million different directions, and I read, and I read, and I read, and I looked up love, and I read some more, and I was going to go one way and talk about Mary and and the love of a mother, and I guess the more I got into it, I didn't like it, and I wasn't feeling it, and and so I, I ended up, well, and the reason that, uh, that is, is because the subject of love, it's kind of like a Las Vegas buffet. Anybody ever been to Vegas and eat at a buffet? Yeah. You don't know where to start, you don't know where to stop, and there's a whole lot of stuff in the middle, okay? So I had to pick one passage of scripture to talk about today. And stick with it, and try not to go, you know, very... I don't want to be off on those rabbit trails. So our text comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. It's known as the love chapter. And uh, in all my years of ministry, uh, if I've done a wedding, I've done hundreds of them, and I always include something, maybe not the entire thing, but I include something from Corinthians 13. So if you have your mobile device... Uh, you have your, a real Bible in your hand, whatever you got, wherever you get the word, put it in your hand, and let's read this, and I'm sure Mike will have some of this up on the screen for you. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. When I read that, I think back years ago, remember the gong show? Yep. And they would gong you if you were, if you, yeah, yeah, that's... That's God's thoughts on the deal right there, huh? If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries 
and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away things of my childhood behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest of these things. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, we live in a generation that talks a lot about love. I covered this a few weeks ago. Uh, last time I spoke, I, I just touched on this very thing about how the how the world thinks about love, and uh, it can very it can be very disheartening what they how they think about love and all of that. People think of love as this ocean of emotion. It's just oh my goodness, we're just we're just floating in all these emotions and feelings. But love is not simply a feeling. Okay, the Lord commands us to love. Okay, I want us to understand that. You can't command a feeling. Okay, a feeling has to come from within you. Bible tells us, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. It's a command and it involves a couple of things. One is your choice to do so. Okay. Secondly, is your conduct toward your wife. Husbands, love your wives. So it's an act of our will. It's like you have to put the car in gear. Okay. That's what love is all about. You have to put the your love car in gear. If you want to love somebody or something or whatever, you, you can't sit in neutral and idle all day. You have to put a little effort with it, okay? And there's a few Greek words for love that I think are neat because the English language only has one. So you're talking about love in the English language. You only have one way to express it. But the Greeks were smart. Eros is romantic love. Okay, like a boy has for a girl, girl, or vice versa. This is love for just one person, okay? So you better pick the right one. That's all I got to say about that. The next Greek word is philio, friendly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. We're, no, we're not going to Philadelphia today, okay? We're doing something different. The third word I want you to see is agape love. If you're a note taker, I hope you're writing these down. Agape love. And we've heard this for years in church, and we understand it, but it's God-like love is the description of agape love. It's what the world needs today. We live in a loveless society. So it's what the world needs today, and it's what the world needs to see in us and through us. Agape love. So as as we 
sort through this whole thing of agape love, we're going to look at a few things today. Uh, I've got a number of points. I'll try to move through them quickly and not linger on anything uh, too long. First, let's look at the fact that in verse 1 through 3 of our text, our efforts are empty without love. Whatever we do must be held together in love. Our hearts and our actions must be consistent. They, they have to run parallel to one another down the track of life, so to speak. If your actions say one thing and your heart says another, not a great witness, amen? So God doesn't look on the outward appearance. Aren't you thankful for that? But he looks at our hearts. That's God's word and promise to us. Let me give you a couple of examples of people who did the right thing in the Bible but had the wrong motive. Because sometimes our motives, when it comes to love, they need to be clarified. Take Ananias and Sapphira, for instance, in, book, in the book of Acts, chapter 5. These folks had sold some property, and it was very valuable property. And they decided to give a large sum of money to the church. So they brought it into the church, but during that process it was revealed they didn't do it to bless the poor. It wasn't an act of love and benevolence. It was basically whatever public praise it would bring them, that's why they gave, okay? What happened? Well, the Bible says that they both died. Basically, before they got out the door, they both died. You know, the prophet of God said when she came in after he did, they came in separately. I don't know what the deal was with that, but Ananias came first, and, uh, and, he, and, he, and he told him, and he says, well, here's the deal. You've done this wrong. Can you imagine bringing your offering to church and not knowing whether or not God was going to kill you or not? Wow, that would, that, would, that would make me nervous. That'd make me a little nervous, but Ananias went out, he's dead. Sapphira came in after him, and the prophet of God said, Hey, your husband was just here, we actually know what the truth is, so the same guys that packed him out are coming to get you here in a second. Tough situation. The Pharisees, for instance. These guys memorized scripture, they fasted meals, they prayed long fancy prayers at the temple, they made sacrifices. They tried to keep the commands of God's words the best they could. But Jesus revealed the motive behind this group of gentlemen. What their motive was. Matthew 23 and 5. Jesus said, everything they do is done for people to see. Wow. Yeah, their motivation was not love for God. It wasn't love for the people in the community. It was whatever advertising they could do on themselves. Okay? So we're going to look at 10 characteristics of agape love today. And I hope you're a good, fast note taker. As I said, I don't want to stay long on any of these points. Number one, steadfast love. Love suffers long. Love suffers long, the Bible says. John 13 and 1, Jesus having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus was a stick-to-it kind of guy. Amen? True love is long-suffering, it's patient, it forgives 70 times 7, and it keeps on going like the Energizer Bunny. That's all I can tell you, okay? Number two is a serving love. A serving love, it's kind. Kindness is serving one another. You say, well, the person I have in mind to serve, they don't really deserve it. Well, you're probably right. But true love serves those who don't deserve to be loved. It's that simple. I'm sure you can all 
stop for a moment, think in your mind, yeah, I know somebody like that in my, in my world, in my circle of influence. I could love them, but they don't deserve to be loved. What does Luke chapter 6 says? Love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for those that despitefully use you. That's a tall order, don't you think? And sometimes that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow. But hey, words of Jesus, what can I say? So basically he's saying, do good, speak well, pray hard, and find some way to bless those that you consider unfriendly towards you. Huh? Maybe wash their car, mow their lawn, go over and wash their windows. And find a way to bless these people. And uh, what does the Bible say about heaping coals of fire on their head? Is that, is that what happens? Okay, good for them. Number three is sincere love. Number three is a sincere love. It envies not. Now, here's my thought on this. If you envy someone, then you really don't love them and uh, truly love them because they have something you want, you know? I can love, I can tell you I love you. But if you have a 56 Ford F100 pickup sitting in your garage, candy apple red, Krager wheels, TA radials, slammed a little bit, okay? I may love you, but I'm probably going to want your truck, okay? I may say that I love you, but if I cringe when somebody gives you praise or, or lifts you up, if I cringe at that, if I fear that your gain is my loss, I envy you. I don't really, truly love you, okay? Number four. It's a self-effacing love. We're talking about agape love today. Godlike love. It's a self-effacing love. It's a love that does not boast, doesn't brag, and it's not proud. So agape love, when it comes into your life and you start to understand it and start to walk in that, it enables you to be humble. It's a wonderful thing. You don't feel the need to promote yourself or belittle other people. That's what agape love is all about. It doesn't swagger. It's not proud. Pride and true love usually don't live in the same heart. How's that for self-checkup from the neck up, huh? Yeah. Proverbs 13.10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised comes wisdom. I don't know about you, but I want to be well-advised. Amen? Ask yourself this question. Is there constant contention in your home? Somebody's got a little pride going on. There's ego involved in that kind of thing. But true love is self-effacing. Removes itself from a bad situation. Number five, it's a self-restraining love. Agape love is a self-restraining love. It's not rude. It's not rude. True love enables you to be courteous. Think about that. Some people elbow their way right into the conversation. They don't know how to say please. They, know, they don't know how to say thank you. Courtesy is love in the little things. The person who doesn't love in the little things probably doesn't have the ability to love in the big things. A rude person, bottom line, they're just an unloving person. They don't possess love in their hearts. Wow. Number six. It's a self-denying love. Self-denying love. It's not self-seeking, okay? It doesn't say, me first. I know my rights. Boy, how often do we hear that 
in today's society. I, I know my rights. The person who says that, and that's their go-to, they're not speaking out of love. They're speaking because they know their rights. Here's what the Bible says. When you got saved, you gave up all your rights. Huh? A dead man doesn't have any rights, okay? And the Bible says you're crucified with Christ, bought with a price, and you are not your own. There's a promise you can stand on. Your rights are his rights. And if you're going to love somebody, you've got to love them the way Jesus said to do it. Okay? He wrote the manual on this. We don't have to second guess what it takes. So it's a, it's a self-denying love. Bill Gothard, great author. What was that? What was the, the... Honey, you went to that when you were a teenager. Do you remember what that was? What was it called? Basic Youth Conflicts. He was a great guy. And he made this little statement that I saw, thought was so appropriate. He says, if you teach somebody their rights, you'll have a revolution on your hands. But if you teach them their responsibilities, you'll have a revival on your hands. Isn't that good? Let me repeat that again. If you teach somebody their rights, you'll have a revolution. But if you teach them their responsibilities, you'll have a revival. What a, what a novel idea. Look at the colleges in America today. What they're doing to our young people. Yeah, they're teaching them their rights, not their responsibilities. It's, it's heartbreaking. Number seven, it is a serene love. Agape love, God-like love, is a serene love. Anybody notice a pattern here? These all start with S. I don't know how I did that, but whatever. It's a serene love. It's love that is not easily angered. Okay? That's what I want to key in on here. Anybody know somebody that is like a shotgun with a hair trigger? And... The, the least little thing sets them off. They just blow up in your face and bam, everything in sight and, and they destroy everything around them with their uncontrolled whatever. Well, they're not, they're, I guess they are easily angered. But they'll say, hey, I'm after the fact. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm over it. I'll, I'll get beyond it. It'll be fine. I'll say, well, yeah, that sounds good. But what about all the dead people laying in your path, in, your, in the wake of your uncontrolled anger there? You know, a bad temper is often the one blot in an otherwise wonderful Christian character. You can be walking in all the other stuff, but if you've got a short fuse and a bad temper, boy, it doesn't do much for your testimony. I, had, I have a friend who's in ministry. He pastors a great church up north. And... Uh, I even had an opportunity to work for him for a very little, very little short term. But that guy had such a bad temper and a short fuse. I watched him in staff meetings just boom, boom, bang, bang, just blasting away at people. And I thought, wow, I've known this guy most all my life. Whatever happened to that guy? But it, it, it put a blot. It put a, it put a, it smeared his character and his reputation because he refused to address it and get a grip on it. we got to get a grip on it. Amen? So a hot temper is simply a sign that we're not quite full of love. The tank's only about half empty, okay? Half full. All right, number eight, it's a sacrificial love. Agape love is a sacrificial love. It keeps no record of wrongdoings. Isn't that wonderful? Love is not a collector of grudges. 
it's able to forgive and forget. But many people withhold forgiveness until somebody pays the price. Oh, boy. And what can I tell you today? Well, forgive the wrong and bury the problem. It's the best thing you can do. Forgive the wrong, speak forgiveness, bury the problem, and call it a done deal. Amen? Number nine, it's a sympathetic love. It doesn't delight in evil. It doesn't delight in evil. When someone falls into sin, and maybe that sin is a very public thing, we should not rejoice about it, but we should weep with them, weep over them. One of the sins of a gossip is that they rejoice in evil. It's not just the, the gossip, but it's they rejoice in evil. They can't wait to tell it if it's bad. Like one gossip said, I never say anything unless it's good, and boy, is this good. I tell you. Yeah. You know, that's the way some folks approach it. Anybody ever heard of th the three rules of speaking? I'm going to give them to you, okay? Three rules of speaking to someone about anything. Is it true? A, is it true? It, B, is it necessary to tell it? Huh? I realize it's just bubbling up inside you, but is it... Is it necessary to tell it and let her see? If you must tell it, is it kind? Is it kind? Okay? You see, love covers over an offense. It doesn't gloat in it. It doesn't promote it. It doesn't advertise it. Love covers. Is there a scripture that says love covers a multitude of sins? That, isn't that wonderful? I don't have the address on that one. That just popped in my, my aged brain. So let's be sympathetic because that is God's love. Amen? And number 10, it's a suffering love. King James says it bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, and endures all things. It's a suffering love. Now, love believes all things, but it's not gullible. Okay? Let me qualify that. Say, well, why does God allow people to suffer? Well, I don't have the answer in my notes today, but think of it this way. It costs God something to create mankind and to have relationship with God, with mankind. I mean, the ultimate cost, it cost him his only son. But when God chose to love, he chose to suffer. He knew he's an all-knowing God. He could already see down the road what was going to happen with mankind. He could already see into the garden to see that Adam and Eve were going to fail miserably in paradise. How do you do that? I don't understand it. But hey, I wasn't there. Isaiah 63, 9, the first part says, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. That's talking about God. Say, well, how does God suffer? He's God. He's, he's all-powerful. He's almighty. How in the world could God suffer? Well, think of it this way. Does a father suffer when a son does something wrong? Huh? A parent, do they suffer when their child does something wrong? There's a, there's a law being considered. It might even be on the books. I don't know. But if, if your child is under 18 years old and gets a gun in their hand and kills somebody, you could end up going to prison for it in the state of Washington. You know? Who's going to suffer if your child does something wrong? Well, think about that with God. It's absolutely the same. We can make a stupid decision, we can hurt somebody, we can harm somebody, and God suffers the consequences with us. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. So, obviously, 
The Holy Spirit is the part of the Godhead. And if we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit, we're going to grieve God. Amen? 1 Corinthians 12.26 says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Mm. I think that's you and I. Amen? That's the body of Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the Bible says that many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's going to rain on the just and the unjust. So it's not going to be rose-colored sunglasses and sunny skies. I apologize for the note. It's not going to be sunny skies all the time. Yes. But that's, you know, summer will come back. Shalise got on this roll the other day in the car with, with Teresa and I. What season do you like the best? You know, this is a nine-year-old talking to What season do you like the best? And then once we told her, well, why do you like that season the best? And so we went on. I went on to explain why I like summer. I said, well, I don't have to put on a coat. I don't hardly have to wear a hat. I get to ride my motorcycle every once in a while. And, she, oh, okay, Papa. But she, I don't know where she comes up with this stuff. But love her to Pete. Yeah, deep thinker. That kid is a deep thinker. Okay, second half of this, we're going to talk about, very briefly, we're going to talk about developing agape love. Okay? Developing agape love. Letter A. It's something that God does through you. Okay? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit the Bible talks about. It's what God does through us. You don't produce agape love on your own. Okay? The Bible says that you bear this kind of love. John chapter 15 says we're supposed to bear fruit. Vernon did a phenomenal job on this just a few weeks back, taking us through. He is the vine, we are the branches. Okay? And here's the reality. The fruit belongs to the vine. Okay? It's not yours, it's not mine, but we are to bear that fruit. Amen? Romans 5 and 5 says this, Because God's love has been poured out unto our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. God's love poured in us and through us. Amen? So it's something that God does through us. Letter B. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Now, abiding is a process. Just like sanctification, abiding is a process. You don't get there overnight, okay? But abiding is this, simply focusing on the person of Jesus, his innocence, his humility, his sacrificial and giving nature, and his personal care for you. That's abiding in Christ. 1 Timothy 4.15 says, Meditate upon these things, give yourself wholly to them, that your progress may be evident to all. I took, I, this is my little thought here um, that I kind of broke off. Abiding is kind of like eating, okay? Unfortunately, we gobble down our food. We don't take time to enjoy it. We hardly taste it. It just goes right by the taste buds, right down the gullet. Anybody grow up in a military family? My dad was in the Marine Corps. Did you eat fast at your house? They teach them in the military. Am I right about this, Randy? They, they don't, you don't get to sit there and just chat over dinner. You know, you get that tray of food in front of your face. My dad talked about it. And you just shovel until it's gone. It's like, a, it's like a conveyor belt. Well, as a kid growing up, we'd all sit down to dinner, and we'd watch my dad. And I'm thinking, what in the world is he doing? But it all kind of rubbed on, off on us, okay? Unfortunately, we do the same thing in our spiritual lives, okay? We don't take the time to really absorb God's Word. 
or his presence. Now, in contrast, some cultures around the world, they eat their food for the taste, not just for the necessity. Okay? Savoring the flavor. They might chew one mouthful for several minutes just to enjoy it. Okay? It's like me when I go to the Outback. The Outback is my favorite restaurant here in town. I love the Outback, and I normally order a little filet mignon, and it's tender, and it kind of melts. It's seasoned good, and it kind of melts in my mouth. And typically, I never go away from the Outback having a bad meal, and that's the one place that I don't eat military style. I just, I savor it. I really enjoy it. And the only place better than that is if we drive across the river to Portland, and we go to the Ringside Steakhouse. That is head and shoulders above any other steakhouse that I've been to in a long, long time. And that's where we go to celebrate birthdays and celebrate anniversaries and the special occasions in our life. Now that, that filet, when you bite into that filet, you just put a piece of it on your tongue and it just melts like sugar. It's, it's a, are you hungry yet? Huh? Are you salivating over that filet mignon? Yeah. Somebody said last time I spoke when I, when I, uh, when I talked about donuts, yeah, they were buying donuts on the way home. I just, I chuckled when I read that. So today you guys will be knocking the door down. At, I, I believe Outback opens at noon, so you should be fine, okay? Let me share a little story with you along those lines. A group of wealthy businessmen were dining at a very expensive restaurant. Bill turned to his friend Sam and casually mentioned, he says, looks to me like you were getting a little slimmer. I should be, replied Sam. I went on one of those high-protein diets. Nothing but expensive meats and cheeses. And I can't believe it, but in just two weeks, I lost 300 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you call an eating, eating program, amen? Uh, as I finish this up with a couple little things, I'm going to ask the band to come back, and we're going to close with, with a song at the end of the service. Letter C. Letter C. In developing agape love. Letter C says, where the river flows, there is life. Where the river flows, there is life. Now, let me share a little story with you along those lines. As a pilot flew back from the Middle East, the aircraft flew over, high over the Egyptian desert, where there was nothing but miles and miles of yellow sand. And then there came into view the Nile River on either bank of the river there were broad bands of beautiful lush green vegetation you see wherever the river flowed there was life anything else in that great expanse of desert there was only emptiness and death wow so if you want to experience the life of god and the love of god truly flowing in your own life got to go where the river flows amen John 7, 38 says this, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. I don't want to be a dry, parched kind of person in my life. I want the rivers of living water to flow through me, God's love to flow through me and out of me, and to bless other people in my world. Amen? And one more scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have 
have eternal life. I was trying to mix my King James metaphors there. Everlasting life. I think it's going to last a while. Amen.